So here we are continuing our, our series called Upended, where we're looking through scenes in the book of Acts where God has upended our preconceived notions in order to do above and beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. And this week, week four, we're answering this question, what do you do when you realize you've got it wrong? And of course, none of us mean to get it wrong, but sometimes things go wrong or go sideways or we misunderstand or we have misconceptions. What do we do to correct them and get back on the right course? Over the course of this series, we've used this as kind of the key verse. It's the begin, at the beginning of, book of, of the book of Acts, and it's Jesus telling his disciples what he has in mind for them. He says, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. Witnesses just tell what they've seen and experienced. And we talked last week about how his gospel, the gospel of the kingdom of God, was going to expand to everyone everywhere. But I've highlighted this week that phrase, about me, because that is a key phrase in this whole equation as well. That the gospel, the good news, the story that we tell, is centered on and all about Jesus. And what we are going to see today is the bottom line and the important thing to remember is that we don't give to anyone what belongs to the only one. We don't give to anyone what belongs to the only one. And here's why this is so important. We've talked about how Jesus was able to pull together a wide variety of people coming from a wide variety of religious and political socioeconomic backgrounds and make them into one people, one group. And the only way that he was able to do that was by, by reorienting their ultimate allegiance to himself. They had to set aside some of those other preconceived notions, uh, uh, previously held ideas and convictions, and replace them with an ultimate allegiance to himself, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Messiah. And if we are going to navigate through all the different ways that the world is conspiring and our situation is working against unity, conspiring to divide us, then we have to also figure out how to hold fast and hold only to Jesus and give him and him alone our ultimate allegiance. So today we are talking about a reset. We're talking uh, about when things go wrong, how do we reset and get back on the right path? We are looking this week at Pentecost, continuing to look at Pentecost like we did last week, and we're looking in particular at the message that Peter got up and delivered to the people who were there in Jerusalem that day on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. So if you missed last week, I'll encourage you to go back to check that out. You can check out our website, cornerstonenh.org, and you can find that there. But this is a reset, and talk about a reset. Our key verse for this week is Acts 2.36, that it says, Peter is speaking, and he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, 
to be both Lord and Messiah. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Think about, talk about upended. They thought that they were fighting for God's side, that they were doing the right thing when they shouted down and shouted crucify to and against Jesus. And now Peter is telling them, look, you thought you were fighting for God. You thought you were on God's side. Actually, you were fighting against God. You put to death the anointed one, the one that God had sent and chosen. In fact, God in the flesh, you rejected him and you killed him. That is an up ending. And so we can see in the people a good model of how to reset preconceived notions and to reset when you've got things wrong. So let's look at the key passage for today, which is Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 39. This is the Apostle Peter speaking on the day of Pentecost. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for, God could, for death could not keep him in its grip. King David said this about him, I see the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken, for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You have shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. 
So here in this passage, you see the Apostle Peter giving the complete gospel to the people of Israel there in Jerusalem. And it's all summed up in this one verse, Acts 2.36. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. What he's doing there is encouraging them to whatever their previous understanding, whatever their previous notions about Jesus and what was right and what was wrong and when it came to him, to shift their allegiance to Jesus as God's anointed Lord and Messiah. So the first thing, if we are going to have a reset, I'm just going to challenge you right off at the start to allow for the possibility you can be getting it wrong. See, all of this evidence, all of the things that the Apostle Peter pointed out would have been for naught to his hearers and will be for naught for us, his hearers today, if we don't at least allow for the possibility then we could be getting it wrong. One of the things that I think would help us as we navigate through the past several months and the future several months is if we embrace a sense of humility, allowing for the possibility that we can be getting it wrong. So just take a second right now and just kind of, you know, one way you could do that is just to open up your hands before the Lord and say, okay, I recognize I don't, I don't always get it right. So if there's anything that you want to show me through this message today through your word where I'm getting it wrong, I just declare my willingness to reset and to be corrected. If you come at it with that humble perspective, I really feel like the Lord will honor that and redirect you and get you on the right path. So let me uh, kind of unpack what's in this one verse, Acts 2.36. And I've highlighted the word God. Let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. I want you to recognize that this whole story, that the gospel story actually begins and ends with God. It is his activity. And where is that kind of a reset for us? So often we think that the good news of the gospel is about us and what it can do for us. Really, this is God and what he has done for us. So let's look at it together. It starts out by saying, people of Israel, listen, this part of the, this part of the message that starts at verse 22. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene. And you'll see over and over again that this is the pattern, that this is God's work. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is really about what God has done in Jesus Christ. And uh, you may have heard, if you've been around Cornerstone for any period of time, my talking about how the gospel, and this is an original with me, of course, the gospel is not spelled D-O, do. That's not about things that you need to do. It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's about what God has done in and through Christ for us. So this is a story that's ultimately about God and what he has done. God is the one who has endorsed Jesus Christ. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit more in just a second. Now, the second thing in that verse is the first off, it's about God. 
and has made this Jesus. Well, what Jesus are we talking about? Peter has already explained. He's talking about Jesus the Nazarene, the, the, the prophet and healer and teacher that the people would have been familiar with. Uh, how had God endorsed him? By doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. Now, this is interesting because it was very clear that God's power was with Jesus because he was able to do all of these miraculous signs, healings, and wonders. And notice that Peter is saying this is something that the people knew. They had seen this. They were aware of it. They were eyewitnesses to this. So they didn't have to take Peter's word for it. This was something that they were already familiar with. The gospel is the story about what God has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ. And then the next phrase says, whom you crucified. And this is probably the most powerful and convicting statement in this whole message because he's saying, look, you've got it wrong. You have messed it up because God sent his son, Jesus Christ. He proved who he was by what he did and you took him and murdered him. You put him to death. But again, this is God's story. It says, but God knew what would happen and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. He knew what would happen and it was a part of his plan. And then it says, with the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. So to give a little bit of context for this, I want to look at a scene from the Gospel of John. This is from John chapter 11, verses 45 to 57. I'm not going to read it, but I'll set it up and then we'll look at a couple of key verses because this really gets to how they got off track to the point where they would murder an innocent man. In John chapter 11, this is where the raising of Lazarus from the dead happens. So Jesus has done this incredible, incredible, unprecedented miracle. And the, as a result of that, there are many people who are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And his following is growing because the news of Lazarus being raised from the dead was spreading. So they have to decide what to do. So it says, then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. Now remember, if you watched previously, we talked about the different factions politically and religiously that were around in Jesus' day and that Jesus pulled his disciples from. Again, in no case did he just completely adopt or, be co or was co-opted by any of these. He pulled people out and realigned their allegiance to him. But leading priests, Pharisees, high council, Sadducees and Pharisees, they called together and they asked themselves, what are we going to do? We see Jesus has done this. It's, it says this man certainly performs many miraculous signs. He's raised somebody from the dead. The people are following him. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. Now think about this for just a second. 
he has proved, just like Peter was saying in this sermon, that God has put his stamp of approval. He has shown that God is with Jesus. And they're saying, if things keep on going like this, everyone is going to put their faith in him. That should be something that they would celebrate, something that they would want. But for them, it is a problem. Why? Then, this was their thinking, then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. Literally, this place, our place, and our nation. See, they were thinking, well, why is this a bad thing? Well, if Jesus starts getting more and more followers, then that's going to upset the balance of power. And very easily, we could see the Romans coming in and putting down this as a rebellion. And then our place, this temple, is going to be destroyed. And we are going to lose our nation. We're going to lose our place and this place. And so they were thinking at it from, we can't lose. We can't lose this position. We can't lose this power. We can't be defeated in this way. So even though Jesus is raising people from the dead, even though people are putting their faith in him, even though it seems like God is with him, we have to put him down. And so Caiaphas, who was high priest at the time, said, you don't know what you're talking about. Now, this is a very just uh, uh, dismissive phrase. He's saying, you're, you're sitting around saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's very obvious what we need to do, Caiaphas is saying. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man should die for the people than for the whole nation to be destroyed. In other words, we have to address this. This isn't even a question. And we have to kill Jesus. We have to put him to death. It's much better that we kill one person than for the whole nation to be destroyed. Now, in the midst of this, there's so much. Number one, uh, they were trusting in and wanting to preserve and protect their own power. They couldn't possibly conceive of losing that power. They looked to the Romans for protection. Many of the Sadducees were wanted to work with and collaborate and just keep the status quo. But God was doing something different. And, and rather than allowing what God was doing to reset their expectations and their behaviors and their perception of Jesus. They just kept going down this path. And as a result, just to make it clear that that is what we're talking about, it says, so from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. And so they have gotten off track. They are collaborating with the lawless Gentiles, the people that were, they usually wouldn't have anything in common with, but because they want to hold on to their power, because they don't want to upset the status quo, even if that's what God seems to be doing, then they're going to do immoral things, collaborate with immoral people in order to accomplish evil ends. And so it's just, it should have been a warning. It should have set off an alarm in their conscience. What are we 
doing. Look, we are, we are fighting against what God is obviously doing. We're trying to protect our own power and position. We are more concerned about what the Romans might do than what God is doing. And they were willing and able to act in very evil ways because they were unwilling to let God do this reset. So back in Acts 2.36, the last phrase, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. These are two heavily weighted and loaded terms. Lord, talking about it was, was the word that they would use to refer to God, the God who created everything, the God who, was, uh, who led Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who delivered the people out of slavery in Egypt through Moses. The Lord has made himself present and shown himself in Jesus. And he is also Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the promised king in the line of David who would return and lead, who would rise up and lead the people to victory. But it's not the victory that they were expecting or that they had assumed. So back in the story, when Peter is explaining it in the, this message, but God released him, released Jesus from the horrors of death, raised him back to life. He restored him to life, for death could not keep its grip. And then notice it says, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we, talking about the apostles, are all witnesses to, uh, of this. This wasn't something that they just heard about. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And so they are doing what Jesus said they would do. They would tell the story. They would tell what they had seen about him to everyone everywhere, starting right there in Jerusalem. And then notice this, uh, this Jesus, the lowly Jesus, the, the, the person Jesus, fully God, fully man, goes to the cross, is, is betrayed, uh, goes to the cross, is raised to life, but now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. In other words, he is ruling and reigning. This is what it means that he is Lord and Messiah. So whatever other allegiances you may have had to a political party or theory, to a religious party or philosophy, it's supposed to be superseded by your allegiance to Jesus, who has been exalted by God to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. That any other, this is how the, the, the early church was united together despite all of their various backgrounds religiously and politically. Their ultimate allegiance was replaced. Their ultimate uh, way of seeing how the progress was made was replaced with an allegiance to Jesus and signing on to his program and bowing the knee to him because he has been exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. 
And then to close it, uh, Peter says, And the Father, as he had promised, gave him, gave to Jesus, the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. That, and they, so he brought it full circle. What drew the crowd was the sound of, of the voices of all of the apostles speaking in all these different languages to the people who spoke those languages from all over the earth. And they had participated in the death of Jesus. And now they are being told that while they thought that they were doing God's work, they were actually working against God and they needed to change. They had got it wrong. And so how did they reset? That's what these next verses tell us. Uh, we've looked at the past verses which tell the story of Jesus, the gospel, the outline of the story of Jesus, and now we're going to get to their response. And again, you have to allow for the possibility that you can be getting it wrong that some of these things that are vying for our allegiance, some of these things that we're looking to for protection, for a sense of identity, whatever the case may be, just allow the possibility that we need a little bit of reset and a little bit of adjustment. And that's exactly what happened when the people heard Peter's words. Acts 2.37 says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. The, the, this phrase is so powerful. It literally just means they were decimated. They were so totally destroyed by what they were hearing because they recognized they were guilty of fighting against not just God's son, but his anointed, the Lord and Messiah. And so they were convicted. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And if we are going to have a reset, we have to open ourselves up to the possibility of getting it wrong. I sometimes hate being convicted. I hate recognizing that I have gotten it wrong, but my perspective has changed because it is a gift. It's a gift to recognize that you're off track because it allows you the possibility of getting on track. It's a gift to receive conviction of the Holy Spirit to say, oh, I was putting my trust, giving my faith, giving my allegiance, putting my hope in something other than Jesus because that's a gift from God when we are convicted and have the opportunity to change. And that's exactly what happened when they heard that they had crucified God's anointed. They were cut to the heart. They were pierced in their hearts. And so they asked, they said to him, to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What's the response? How do we reset? How do we make things right when we recognize that we're off track? And so Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That idea of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. It's changing direction, and that's what this translation brings out. We turn from our sins, and we turn to God. What we have been looking to for things that only God can provide, safety, security, forgiveness, salvation, now we're going to turn to God. The worship and allegiance that we have allowed 
ourselves to give to others, now we are going to give to God alone. We are going to change direction. So when you're convicted, when you recognize you've gotten off track, we need to shift and change direction. And then you have to deal with the past. That's what he's doing next. He tells them, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Baptism was and is the ceremony that symbolizes your entrance into the family of God, your citizenship in the kingdom of God. It paints a beautiful picture that we, like Christ, were dead we, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He died for our trespasses and sins. God raised him to life. And we, when we trust in Christ, are raised to walk in a new way of life as well. Our past can be forgiven. Our guilt can be washed away. And what happens when we say yes to Jesus is we are saying yes to him as Lord and Savior. Lord and Master, it, uh, we are allowing what God has done in Christ on the cross to be applied to us personally. Our, we can be forgiven for our past trespasses. And so we are addressing the past. What does that mean? When you are convicted, when you realize that you need a reset, when you need to change behavior, then you you have to go and make things right. We ask for forgiveness. Sometimes it includes restitution or reconciliation, asking for and receiving forgiveness with other people that we have wronged. And then ultimately it has to do with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We can deal with that when we say yes to Jesus, when we are included in the family of God, because then what the forgiveness that Jesus bought on the cross counts for us. And then we look to the future. It says, in that part of it I see in here, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the person of the Holy Spirit. God, in the person of the Holy Spirit, comes and lives and resides in each believer, each follower of Jesus. And then, as we saw last week, his presence is with us. He uh, gives us his presence and a sense of belonging and direction, all of these benefits so that we can go forward and do differently. You see, once a person says yes to Jesus, then they are going to have the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you to live life differently. He's going to lead you in a new direction. And all of these are the way that we reset. We reset. We have to be willing and open to be convicted and to say, you know, I've gotten off track. We need to be uh, willing to turn away from those, to repent, to change our mind, and then change our direction, to deal with the past, and then to do differently. And so, if this is perhaps the first time that you're recognizing, okay, this isn't about me and what I need to do, it's about what God has done, I'm going to encourage you to say yes to Jesus. If you're, uh, no matter what way you're listening or watching, you can text YES 
to 603-225-2550. That's our church number. And when you do that, we'll be able to celebrate with you and resource you for your new life with Christ. What you're saying is, I commit my life to Jesus. I'm going to transfer my allegiance completely and wholly to Jesus. I, what are you saying yes to? You're saying yes to his lordship, that he's the boss, that he gets to call the shots, that he is the one that's going to be in charge of your life. You're saying yes to him as your savior, that you're going to receive the benefit of what he did on the cross and it's going to be applied to you personally. Yes, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying, I want what he did for the world to count for me. And then remembering that last part of the gospel, which is sometimes not emphasized enough that Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God. And so we don't give to anyone what belongs to the only one. God has designated Jesus Christ as the ruling, reigning Lord and Messiah. And so our ultimate allegiance has to be and can only be to Christ as King. And everything else has to be secondary. And when we give our allegiance to Christ our King, then we are united in the body of Christ. We are one because we share in that one Holy Spirit. There is one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. And we will be able to demonstrate that unity of the body. We will be able to and we should guard that unity of the body and not allow anything or anyone to divide us. We don't give to anyone that which belongs to the only one. So let me pray for you. And with the amen, we will be complete for another week. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us in Jesus Christ, everything that we need, that he is uh, present and with us, that he is going to lead and guide and direct us, that you have sent your Holy Spirit to indwell us. I pray, Lord, that you would open us up to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and that we will give our ultimate and wholehearted allegiance to you and you alone. I pray that you would show us where we're off track. Show us if there's any place in our lives that we need a reset, redirection, repentance, and then give us the courage and clarity to act accordingly so that Jesus and Jesus alone receives our ultimate allegiance, our worship, our service. And I pray, Lord, that we would be one. Thank you, Lord, for what you are doing and pray that you would inspire and equip us to follow you wholeheartedly. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.